Amen. Romans 9, getting into the, the meat here of, of, of Romans 9 and some of the hardest uh, passages uh, that we have maybe in the Bible. And uh, we'll work through those. And, and I, all illustrations break down. I want to begin with this morning with an illustration. And, and, and understand all illustrations break down. There are no perfect illustrations. But Suppose, and uh, how, how, you, how you answer this will, will indicate greatly how you receive even the, the text, not only this morning, but, but in the coming weeks as we look at Romans 9 through 11. But suppose I'm, suppose I'm talking to Bill here, and, and Bill needs a ride to the airport. And, and let's say I promise Bill that I will meet him at the church at 6 a.m. and on such and such a date, and I will give him a ride to the airport. Suppose Raymond overhears that and, and Raymond says, well, you know what? I, I need a ride to the airport and I'm going to show up at 6 a.m. and I'm going to get a ride to the airport with Chris because, you know, Chris promised to, to give a ride and, and he shows up at 6 o'clock to get the ride as well. After all, I promised. Here's the question. If I don't give Raymond a ride to the airport, did I break my promise? Am I obligated to give Raymond a ride to the airport? I didn't promise Raymond anything. I promised Bill a ride. Now again, out of the goodness of my heart, because I'm such a nice guy, I'll probably give Raymond a ride. I'm a people pleaser, and I hate for the emails and all the other stuff that's going to come. you know. I, but that's beside the point. Here's the question. Am I obligated to give Raymond a ride to the airport? Did I promise to give Raymond a ride to the airport? I did not. I didn't promise everybody a ride. I promised Bill a ride. And that's a silly sort of illustration, but, but, but it holds true for our lives if we're honest. God's hold out, God holds out promises. And He's very specific in how these promises are accessed. And beyond that, listen, just like I'm free to do with my mercy whatever I want to do with my mercy... I wasn't even obligated to Bill to give Bill a ride to the airport, and yet I promised Bill a ride out of mercy. Listen, God is free, and, and, and this, this is one of those underarching truths that we're going to keep coming back to. God is free to do with His mercy whatever He wants to do with His mercy. It's His to do with however He wants. He is free to make promises however He wants. He is free to specify the access to those promises however He wants. And the challenge for us is we want, we, want to, we want to be the judge and the jury and the determiner of how God doles out His mercy. We want to access those promises our own way. We want to do our own thing and then demand that God bless what we've done rather than what God has said for us to do. We, we want to do our own thing, work up our own ways, and then we want to bring them to God, and we want to say, okay, God, bless this, sign off on this, approve this, make this awesome. And God says, I never promised that. And when he doesn't, we get all mad, and somehow, just like in the text today, somehow it's God's fault. Somehow God has not been faithful, when the reality is, is you and I have not been faithful. And we want God to bless what He has not promised to bless. And here it is, it doesn't work that way. We don't get to come up with our own ways of achieving God's blessings and achieving God's promises. It's God's mercy, and He gets to do with it whatever He wants to do. And the reality underarching all of this is that faith and not works gains access to His promises. Nothing about you and I merits warrants or can demand God's mercy. God, Listen, startling truth for some of us, but here it's true. God owes nobody mercy. He owes you nothing. Re the reality is, is what He owes you, and me included, is wrath due to our sin. That's what He owes you. And yet, he has interposed mercy and grace 
The issue is this. If somebody, listen, if somebody is separated from Christ, the issue is not that God has been unfaithful. All right, Israel, much of Israel separated from Christ. The question becomes, has God been faithful to his promises? Is God a promise keeper? And again, why this matters today is this. If God breaks one promise, there's no guarantee he won't break, no guarantee he won't break another promise. If God's been unfaithful over here, we have no assurance of Romans 8 that he will not be unfaithful over here. This is a big deal. If God breaks his promises, then we, have, we lose assurance. We, we lose the beauty of Romans 8.1, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We lose the beauty of 8.18, that the present sufferings will not compare to the glory that is be revealed in us. We lose the beauty of the assurance of 8.37, that we are more than conquerors. We lose the beauty that greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. We lose the beauty of Romans 8.38 and 39, that nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. All of that goes away if God is not faithful. And so Paul goes to great lengths here to show that God is faithful. The fact that God made tremendous promises to Israel and much of them are still separated from Christ. Does the problem lie with God or does the problem lie with Israel? That's the question. Is God able to keep his promises? And again, everything falls apart if, if, if it's not. And what Paul shows you is that from the very beginning, God has made choices. Meaning, just like he's going to say, God chose Abraham. Why? Because God is God. Right? He chose Abraham. God chose to work through Isaac. God chose to work through Jacob. God is free to do that. And what he's showing is from the very beginning, the people of God, if you will, families have been divided over this. And they will be divided over this. God has made choices. Not only, between, not only amongst nations, God has made choices amongst individuals. But then here's the reality. God's promises have always only been accessed through faith. That's the issue. Through faith. And again, when God uses somebody, whether it's Abraham or, or Isaac or Jacob, what Paul is showing, it has nothing to do with that person. God didn't look down and say, oh, you know what, that guy has something I really, really need. I'm going to use him. No, it's his free choice. Look, look with me at 9-11. We, we won't get there today. My original intention was to get through all of 6 through 13 and about 15 pages of notes later, I was like, that ain't going to work. Why is that so funny? Man, they don't even know me and they're laughing. I don't even, I, like, seriously, I don't even know who you are and you're laughing. Brave, brave. I like y'all already. I like y'all already. I like y'all. Somebody done whispered secrets in your ear about me. I know that. Clay, look at... Y'all just think my notes are not 14 pages. They're not. For, listen, look at verse 11. For though the twins were not yet born and had not yet done anything good or bad, listen, why did God do it this way? Here it is. So that God's purpose according to his choice would stand. Right? Not because of works, but because of him who calls. Why did God do it this way? The answer is because God is God and God is not going to compete for the glory. God is going to make it perfectly clear who the hero is. He's going to show you who is doing this. And again, people take this passage and abuse it. This is not to the demise of human responsibility. You can't go that stream either. You're going to see throughout even the two illustrations that he uses... Humans were responsible for their decisions. But God was the initiator and God was the author. God set it in motion. And had God not sovereignly set a plan in motion, no one would be saved. Again, God did not look ahead and say, you know what? I see Esau selling his birthright over a cup of stew, so I better choose Jacob. Jacob was a scoundrel. Jacob was a deceiver. There was nothing in Jacob. That God would have looked ahead and said, I need that. 
The fact that he chose Jacob speaks to the fact that this is God. That's the point. I, I try to drill this home in my own home. The answer to the question of why, a lot of times, is simply this, for God's glory. I'm going to tell my kids all the time, if all else fails, answer the question for God's glory, and you're going to be on the right track. And, and again, if we come to this text and read it, you know, I, I think about it, if God, if God just looked ahead and picked people based on what they were going to do, I, I said this before, God would look in the future and see nobody choosing Christ. Romans 3. God had to initiate a way. He had to be the initiator, had to be the author. And, and again, if we sim- again, the, the point is God can do whatever he wants to do with his mercy, and he still remains faithful. And again, if, if we just read this text, we said it last week, there's n- it's not hard to understand. These words are not hard to understand. Here's the problem, if we're honest. They're hard to accept. They're hard to accept. And, 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 and some of us are just going to say, I ain't having that. I'm not going to believe it. You, that's one issue. Some of us are going to come to this and say, okay, I'll accept it, but I, don't, I'll, I'll, I see it, but I don't, I don't, I don't like it. And you kind of you deal, deal with this passage like our kids deal with vegetables. And, and, and again, here's my warning. Don't, don't think you can come to the Word, especially passages that reveal the character of God without joy, and knowing that a gracious, perfect God has revealed this about Himself, just like every other passage. You see it on your handout. This is God's revelation of who He is, and we should not begrudgingly accept who He is. We should joyfully accept who He is, and be grateful that He is who He is. To, to not accept this is to say, if not explicitly, but is certainly to imply that you know better than God. That you would deal with things better than God. And Paul is writing here, the, the irony is so many people struggle with this passage and they, they, they end up in the opposite court of what God desires from this passage. God desires from this passage that we would be more sure and more certain about our salvation, not less, because God is the certain and sure foundation of our salvation. And you see it in your handout. These truths should make you rejoice because Paul is using them to explain why your salvation can be certain and sure. Because God is always faithful. And he does exactly what he says he's going to do. So, verses 6 through 9, what's the main point? Here, here's what I want, here's, here's what they missed, here's what people have always missed and misunderstood. And, and again, I, this is the main point, and I, 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 I think it's gonna, it, it can shock some people, but, but it's true. God's faithfulness remains steadfast even in the face of unbelief because God never promised salvation to everyone. He never said everybody would be saved. He never guaranteed that. He has guaranteed if you confess your sins and repent, he'll save you. But there's one way. There's one way for a man or a woman to be saved, and it's through Jesus Christ. And it's clear from the beginning that not everybody are going to accept that. The problem does not lie with God. The problem is in you and I, and just like we see today, he's going to illustrate it through Abraham and Sarah, and he's going to illustrate it even more explicitly through, through Jacob and Esau. We don't get the freedom to come up with our own ways to access, to access God's promises. I mean, look at 9.6. This is the thesis statement for 9-11. through 11. Chapters 9-11. through 11. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. No, verse 7, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac your descendants, descendants will be named. The issue is, again, God has promised to bless the Jews, and yet most of the Jews are rejecting Christ. Where's the problem lie? God or the Jews? Not God, Paul says. 
God's word has not failed. You're separated from Christ, it ain't because the word of God has failed. And Paul is arguing here why God's word cannot fail. And don't lose, in the midst of everything else, do not lose sight of this. Don't make this, this chapters, these passages, something that they're not. The fact that God remains faithful and God remains free to do whatever he wishes is the main point. God is free to do whatever he wants to do. And it will always be good. And the reality is this, you see it on a handout. This, this is, again, this is the main thing Paul is saying. A person's unbelief does not negate God's faithfulness. It does not negate God's faithfulness. And rather than cause us angst, these are meant to cause us joy and to give us the assurance of our salvation being in God, to offer that He has offered to bestow mercy on us in spite of us, not because of us. None of us deserved it. The only thing we deserved was wrath, and God has chosen to offer mercy. He has made a way in spite of us. Don't try to, try to come to these passages and just let them speak without any preconceived notions, without anything else, or, you know, I don't, you know, don't do that. Let, let the word speak. What does it say? Verse 6, not all Israel is truly Israel. What is he saying? Just because you're Jewish doesn't automatically entitle you to the right to claim God and his mercy. Ethnicity does not qualify you as the true people of God. Again, within the larger group of Israel, not all believe. Some do. And that in no way makes God unfaithful. That's clearly what he says in verse 6. And verse 7, the, the, Paul's point here is about God being faithful and that a person's unbelief doesn't negate God's faithfulness. It, their unbelief disqualified them from the promises. No faith. They tried to come to God a different way. And you see it on a handout. If, if only a minority of Jewish people have responded to the gospel, join God's true family through faith in Christ, and that is in accord with God's promises, then that means there's no contradiction with the Old Testament and Paul's gospel. That's, that, again, that's Paul's big issue. His gospel is in, line, is in line with the Old Testament. There's not an Old Testament gospel and a New Testament gospel. One gospel, by faith, through the promises of God, ultimately Christ. That's the whole point. To prove that God is faithful. God remains faithful to His promises. Again, Look at Romans 3.3. Paul sort of dipped his toe into this water in 3.3 and then went another direction, and it's almost like now he's returning back to that. But if you go to, even starting in 3.1, it, it parallels 9 so greatly. 3.1 of Romans. Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, they were entrusted with the oracles of God. Okay? Great privileges. That's what Paul has said in Romans 9-5. through what then? Why the current situation? Here's the point. If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? That's the thesis statement. That's the, listen, nothing about, you can't blame God. Your unbelief has set you outside of the promises of God. You try to access God your own way. You try to work out. I was talking with a guy the other day, and he says, don't you worry, Chris. God and I got our own deal worked out. I said, let me tell you something, sir. And I said it more graciously. I'm fired up now. But I said, listen, God only offered one deal. He ain't interested in side deals. The amazing is issue is that he offered any deal, and it's through Jesus Christ. Listen to me. This road is narrow. It's one way, and the road is titled Jesus Christ. By faith, or through by grace, through faith, Jesus Christ. Your own deal ain't going to work out well for you in the end, my friend. God never promised that all of Israel's just by being a Jew, just because you're ethnicity, God never said you were automatically in. You're going to have to believe the promises. 
Therefore, their disbelief did not mean that God was unfaithful. Therefore, here's the good news. God can be trusted. Eternally trusted. You see it on your handout. Paul's proof of God's faithfulness is the reminder that within the one people of Israel, there were two groups of people. And a person cannot make a claim on God's promises simply due to ethnicity. And, and let's get real practical. Let, let's take this to my own family. I have two kids. They ain't getting in God's family simply because their daddy is a pastor. They're not riding into God's family on the coattails of their mom and dad's faith. They're going to have to access those promises through faith, through their own faith. Oh, you're a Basham, you're in. Two groups within one larger group. Not all Israel is Israel. And Paul, Paul uses the, it, two illustrations here. We're only going to do the first one to make his point. And the first example, you see it on your handout there, the example of Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac and Ishmael. And I think I forgot to leave these on the handout, but the example A is Isaac and Ishmael. And this is verses 6 through 9. And what we must realize, again, you see this on your handout, there are two, two Israels talking about here. There's an ethnic Israel. That is based upon birth. You were born into that. Okay? But there's a salvific Israel, people of God, if you will, and that is based upon faith in Christ and God's promises. Not all Israel is Israel. Two groups within one. One big group of ethnic origin defined by their ethnicity and a smaller group based on their faith. And only those who live by faith in the promises of God and specifically that of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, are truly the people of God. And this, the, 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 the crazy thing was not only that not all Jews were in, the crazy thing is that Gentiles, you and I, could get in. That's what's crazy. And again, we saw it in the beginning of chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. We just read it in Romans 3. Ethnicity had privileges, but they did not in and of themselves qualify you automatically for the people of God in the truest sense. And you see it on your handout. Faith alone in the promises of God qualifies somebody as being God's true people, and thus to the fidelity of God's promises, i.e., God remains faithful. Again, look at, look at Romans 2. You see this very clearly back in Romans 2. Verse 28. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Again, who does this ultimately result in praise of? Not man, God. Birth into an ethnicity does not qualify you for God's eternal people and true people. And the consequence, again, is not only that many Jews are outside, but that Gentiles are inside. And to prove this, Paul uses Abraham as an example. And he goes back. Again, we... You all right? So... Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 speak to this. And in Genesis 12 and 15, you have the Abrahamic covenant, and God details the, the, the details of this, that he chose Abraham. Go, go back in your Bibles. You need to be back there anyway, because Genesis, Genesis, we're going to be a bunch of verses in Genesis. Genesis, we'll do it in Genesis 12. We'll read that one. You can also see it in Genesis 15, one through, or 4 and 5. But Genesis 12, 1 through 4. The Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land... And, and think about li Listen as you read this. Who is the one acting? To the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you... I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God chooses Abraham, all right? 
chooses one person here. Out of all the people he could have chosen, he chooses Abraham. And the story goes like this. God chooses to bless Abraham out of all the people of the world, totally by grace. God promised Abraham, Abram at the time, that he would provide a son to Abram and Sarah through whom all the world will be blessed. God gives this promise to Abraham and Sarah when they're very old. They have no children. They're way beyond child-rearing age. Why? To show that this is clearly God's doing. Okay, God is not going and choosing the one that is most likely to succeed. Why? Because God is not going to compete for the credit. He wants it very clear, I'm the one doing this. Okay, so after God gives Abraham this promise, 10 years passes and they still have zero children. Nothing happens. I mean, imagine for a moment. You're already in your 70s and your 80s when this promise comes to the point, again, the unlikeliness of this was to the point where even Sarah laughed when God told them this. You're already old. Urgency is setting in. That clock is ticking. You get this promise from God that he's going to provide a son, and 10 years later, you got nothing. What you going to do? How long are you going to wait? Look, look with me at Genesis 16 to show you what Abraham and Sarah do. Again, I love the Bible. The Bible includes examples of what not to do. All right? I ain't trying to hide anything. Abraham, Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. See whose fault it is? God's doing this. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain a child through her. Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. This may have been the one time where it wasn't good to listen to your wife. Guys, okay. After Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, again, Abram's, Abram's wife, Sarah, took Hagar to the, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband as his wife. Okay? Hey, God's not taking care of things. He's not doing what he promised. Guess what? I got a plan. I'll access those promises. I'll make my own way to access the promises. So Sarah says, I got this woman over here, Hagar. Abraham, sleep with her. Get you, let's get that child our way, right? Abraham listened to Sarah. Didn't listen to what God had said. Listens to Sarah. Human wisdom kicks in, says, you know what? I can accomplish God's plans my way. I can achieve God's promises my way. I can do it through the flesh. I don't have to wait on God. I don't have to do it God's way. I'm going to help God out, and I'm going to eliminate the need for faith, right? That's essentially what's going on. I can achieve the same goal through human effort and human wisdom. Abraham listens to his wife, and guess what? 1615, they have a son. They name him Ishmael. You see that in 1615 of Genesis. Everything seems fine. Hey, after all, guess what? They got the results they needed. They got an heir. They got a son. Good results. Hey, this, this is our mentality. Good results. God must be okay with it, right? Nobody died. Nobody got hurt. God must be okay with this. Ends justify the means. Makes sense to me. Let's go. But again... Accompl the, 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 the point here, they were accomplishing God's promises through the flesh, not faith. Well, guess what? 14 years later, 24 years after the promise, give or take, Abraham is 100 years old. Guess what happens? Sarah's pregnant. You see that in Genesis 21, verses 1 through 3. Then the Lord took note of Sarah, and, and he had said, as he had said. You see God's faithfulness? He took note of Sarah as he had said. 24 years later, guess who had not forgotten his promise? God. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. All right? Why would God do it this way? Here's the point. God is free to do whatever he wants to do according to his timing. 
He did it this way so that we would come to this story and say, guess who provided Abraham and Sarah a child? God. Faith. Hundred-year-old men are not birthing children. Well, they're not birthing children. Men aren't birthing children at any age. They're not producing children. And you see it on handout. God did what he had promised in his own timing to show that it was God doing it and not man. This is not man getting it their, their own way. It, this, is not, this is God's wisdom over human wisdom. God kept his word, listen, no matter how long it took. Imagine what, how Abraham must might have felt when Sarah says, I'm pregnant. Uh... What are we going to do about Ishmael? Right? Some of us in this room may have, been, may have experienced that ourselves, where, where we know what God's Word clearly says. We take matters into our hands, and we do things to get results, and then all of a sudden, in spite of us, God does exactly what He promised to do, and it's like, uh-oh. Houston, we got a problem now. The question for you and I is this, or many-fold. Will we be okay with God doing things in His way so that He gets the glory and we simply get the joy of being a part of it? Or will we take matters into our own hands to get results and do it our own way? Will we trust God no matter what? Will we rest in God no matter what? Will we come to God on His terms or on our own? Will we try to pass off achieving God's promises on our own or will, be, will, we'll simply have, will we simply have faith in what God has said? Faith, and again, you see it on your handout. The picture here of Isaac and Ishmael is of faith versus works. How do you obtain the promises of God? Faith or works? And, and trying to come to God through works separates us from Christ. And that's the issue with Israel. And it's pictured in Ishmael. Isaac is put forth as a contrast to works, and Isaac is the child of faith, uh, and he's called the child of promise. The, the bigger issue here is Christ or works? Faith or works? Why is Israel separated from God, a curse? Because they didn't come to God through faith. We'll see it in Romans 10. They sought to establish their own righteousness, their own way. And if you come to God through works, if you think you eaten, I'm not, not even pre-salvation, for salvation, if you think you're earning it even today or keeping it, that's where he says in Galatians, you foolish Galatians, how have, who has bewitched you? You think that which is begun by the Spirit is now being perfected in the flesh? Even our works don't do it. Post-salvation. It's still faith. It's always faith. Why? So that God is the hero and God gets the glory. You say, well, Chris, I don't see that. Go to Genesis 11. I mean, go to Genesis 17 and you'll see it. This is not inconsequential. Verse seven, chapter 17 of Genesis, verse 15. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her. And now, so this is before Isaac. This is still before Isaac. I'm going back in the story a little bit to show you this is an issue. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be the mother of nations. King of peoples will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, here it is, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. What's Abraham saying there? Hey, God, you don't need to do anything. I got it. Bless Ishmael. I, I took care of it, God. You were taking too long. You didn't do what you promised, so me and Hagar, me and Sarah, we, we got this. Bless this, God. You see it? Abraham is trying to pass off his own works as the promise. Instead of acting by faith, God, Abraham says, no, God, here it is. You bless this. 
That's the problem in every single one of our lives. Pre-salvation, post-salvation. We want to do it our own way. We want to make a mess of things. And then we want to say, God, just bless it. Abraham is clearly trying to pass Ishmael off as the promise when he ain't the promise. Look at 19. But God said, no, Sarah, your wife, will bear a son and you will call his name Isaac and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and his descendants after him. You're going to come to me through faith? You're going to relate to me by faith or you're not going to relate to me? And if you think, again, if you think this is inconsequential, again, flip over to Galatians 4, verse 21 through 26, and I'll read it for the sake of time. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one with a bondwoman, one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son of the free woman according to the promise. This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are slaves. That's Hagar. She is Hagar. Now, now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem. She is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem from above is free. She's our mother. Again, go to 28. You, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. Flesh or promise? They're, they're incompatible. Isaac was through God being faithful. Ishmael was through Abraham trying to do things his own way. Human wisdom over God wisdom. Faith versus works. The point is, God was not the one that was unfaithful. Again, these two children represent two ways to come to God, faith or works. They represent two ways that we're going to live by, live before God, faith or works. And you see it on your hand now. Biblical, the biblical gospel teaches us that we cannot attain righteousness on our own, but whether we have to trust the supernatural work of God. I mean, everything about, think about it, I was thinking, I'm, I'm preparing in my mind even this week for, for, for New Year's Eve, and everything about the Christmas story confronts our human wisdom. God taking on flesh, crazy. Born of a virgin, crazy. Born in Bethlehem of all cities, crazy. To an unwed man and woman, crazy. In a stable, crazy. Grows up with no pomp and circumstance, crazy. Dies the death of a criminal, crazy. And again, this is why Paul says in Corinthians, this gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved by it, it is the words of eternal life. It is not how you and I would have authored it. That's the point. And in the end of 1 Corinthians 131, Paul says that is the whole point, so that no man may boast before God. Abraham and Sarah did not puff out their chest and say, look at this son we made. Not at a hundred. You see it on your hand out there. Paul is showing and justifying God's faithfulness in that much of Israel is separated from Christ due to seeing works and not faith as the means by which you come to God, even the means by which you maintain a relationship. And again, Paul is saying God was not unfaithful. That was never the promise. God was unfaithful. Was God unfaithful in the Ishmael-Isaac issue? No. Why? Just like I used that illustration, God didn't promise them Ishmael. God promised them Isaac. God promised to provide a son through Abraham and Sarah, not Abraham and whoever could fill the bill. It was specific. And God had every right, every prerogative, every freedom to do that as he wanted to do. It's his mercy. But it, but it also illustrates the point that simply because Abraham, just simply because Ishmael, rather, was Abraham's child, it didn't, make him, it didn't automatically engraft him into the true people of God, did it? Ethnicity didn't cut it. Didn't guarantee the promises. Can't get them your own way. 
You see it on your handout. God's promises to Abraham didn't apply equally to all his descendants. Thus, God is faithful. He didn't promise to bless Ishmael. He promised, promised to bless Isaac. And, and again, these two children, you see Paul here quotes Genesis 21, Genesis 18. It's right down Genesis 21, 12. Go back and read it later. And Genesis 18, 10 through 14. Read it later. These children represent two ways of approaching God. Ethnicity or faith. Works or faith. Works or promise. And they oppose each other. You see it on your handout. Bottom line we must accept is that God is free to do whatever he wants with his mercy in line with his character. And God is faithful. Even within Abraham's immediate family, there was division. He's free. He's free to do whatever he wants. And every, listen, everyone, you see it on your handout, in Abraham's family from here on out would fall into two categories through faith. A promise rejecter or a promise receiver. How are you going to come to God? Through faith or works? You can accept the promise or not. That's your call. That's, the, that's it. Listen, here's the irony. If anyone was unfaithful in this scenario, who was unfaithful? Say it aloud. Abraham. Man was unfaithful. Man was unfaithful. You see how sinful we are? We, we try to pass the blame off on God? Even today, listen... I would say to all of y'all, God, it's the, most, it's the most recognizable, authenticated fact in the world that Jesus Christ lived, died, and three days later was resurrected. What else has God got to do? He put his son up on a cross for all the world to see. It's the most, it's the most documented historical fact in the history of the world. Bradley and I are reading a book, beginning to read a book called Jesus Skeptic. And it's not because he's a skeptic. It's he, 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 by the grace of God, he loves to share the gospel with people at his school. And they have questions and he comes to me and we try to work through those questions. And so we're reading this book to help him speak better. But the, in this book, it documents that you could put the entire, within one generation of Jesus' death, you could put the entire Bible back together through unbelieving extra-biblical writings who were just historians who documented what happened. You can put the entire Gospels back together through the writings of non-believers. You can't say that about any other book. Listen, just because you say, oh, I don't disagree that Jesus lived, that don't even make you a believer. Do you believe He's Lord? Do you submit your life to Him? God was not unfaithful. And you see it on your handout. God was not unfaithful for passing over Ishmael because that's not what God promised. Faith, again, faith versus works. God's word has not failed. God's promises did not apply simply because of ethnicity. Even within Abraham's immediate family. That's the point. So it should not come to your surprise that the larger Israel, as the nation grew, that not all of them are believers. And again, you see it in your handout. Not everyone automatically gets the promises of God simply by works or ethnicity, and yet God remains faithful. And like I said, even my own kids. So, so the, the application of this, Chris, who cares? Well, I'll tell you why, why you should care. And, and we've hinted at it. Inside every single one of us is a desire to want to do things our own way. Inside every single one of us, we want, we want to achieve God's blessings, even if it's not salvifically. I, I'm assuming most of us in here are saved. Even those who are saved, we want to do things our own way. And then you know what we do? We come to God and say, here you go, bless this. And typically, you know what we're doing? We're coming to God and saying, bless this mess. And again, all throughout the Bible, you see King Solomon. Mary, and again, what Abraham and Sarah did, listen, what they did was not as socially repulsive then as it would be today. It was acceptable. They did what was okay in the world's eyes and then tried to pass off worldliness to God. They didn't, they didn't just, it wasn't some obtuse 
gr- grotesque thing in that day. And, and all throughout the Bible, we see illustrations of this. King Solomon marrying wives outside of Israel for political purposes, political strategies. Seemingly, oh, I'm just trying to protect your people, God. You know who said he'd protect his people? God. He don't need Solomon marrying, disobeying, marrying foreign wives to protect his people. If Israel would have trusted God to begin with, there wouldn't have been a king. See 1 Samuel 8. But again, they wanted to be like every other nation. We need a king. You got a king. The king of kings. You go to Saul. Hey, Samuel's taking too long to come make the offering. I'll make the offering. You're out, Saul. Listen, Proverbs 14, 12, write it down. Proverbs 16, 25, write it down. Here's what they say. There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. You can't access the promises your own way. Judges 21, 25, listen to this. There was no king in the land, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Is that not the culture we live in? I can't tell you how many times I hear, even in believers, I know what the Bible says, but. What? But? There ain't no but. I know what the Bible says. Then do it. End of discussion. When you say that, you're letting your wisdom trump whose wisdom? God's. We simply do not want to submit our ways and our lives, even as believers. We don't want to submit it to God. We want to take matters into our own hands. We want to do what we want to do. We want to justify it with all sorts of worldly jargon, all kinds of sayings that sound cute, but they ain't biblical. Feed our flesh. And then we want to bring our life to the altar and say, God, bless this. It doesn't work that way. We, we want to short-circuit God's promises and, and what God wants to do in and through us. You know, we don't do our jobs at home. Our children grow up to not love the Lord, and then all of a sudden it's the church's fault. I don't think so. God didn't design, design these gatherings to be the primary disciple-maker of your children. He designed your home and a mom and a dad to be the primary disciple of your children. You know, and again, divorce, debt, materialism, sports, we spend all this time doing worldly things, doing things that the world says, okay, make a mess of things, and we're like, okay, God, bless it. It doesn't work that way. We were the righteous, again, you not only are you saved by faith, but Romans, we've seen it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it... God's righteousness has been revealed from faith to faith. For it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. We get saved by faith. We live by faith. And the promises. And the battle for every single one of us in here, it's James 3, is for my wisdom to compete with God's wisdom. I think I know better than God's word. And you see it on your handout. We are all very tempted to try to get God's promises and His blessings on our own terms, on our own ways and through our own wisdom. We want to work out our own deals. And what happens is nobody dies. Nothing crazy happens. We're like, oh man, that wasn't too bad. No, that's called the mercy of God. And again, it's not always a grotesque thing. But what Abraham and Sarah did was culturally permissible. Again, go to 1 Corinthians 6, go to 1 Corinthians 10. I don't really care what the world is doing. I care what the Word says. All things are lawful, all things are lawful but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful. You know what Paul says? I will not be mastered by anything. Listen, you know what? You know what we don't care? I don't care if it's lawful. That's not the right answer. Is God honored by it is the question. Is God glorified by it? 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do whatever culture do, does. That ain't what it says. It says, do all things to the glory of God. Here's the problem, guys. When I ask the question, is it lawful? Who does that, who does that question centrally revolve around? Who am I really thinking about? Say it, self. 
when I ask the question, is God glorified, who's that question revolving around? God. And here's what I've learned about my own life. When I ask the wrong questions, get the wrong answers. And I'm really good at asking questions in a way to get the answer of what I really, really want. And I'm really good at justifying about anything that I really, really want to do. Instead of simply submitting my life to God. Submitting my life to His Word at all costs. Every single one of us in here. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your, all your heart and soul and mind and lean not on your own understanding. For in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will what? Make your path straight. You see it on your hand now. We do not achieve God's promises and blessings in our own ways. We li- we, we're saved by faith. We live by faith. Faith over feelings. Faith over the world. Supernatural over the natural. The question becomes this. How, what best describes you? God's wisdom or world's wisdom? God's hold, God holds out promises. He is free to offer His mercy any way He wants, and He has chosen to offer you salvation through Christ, and only through Christ. And listen, we argue about, oh, why is the way only one way? The more crazy question is, why is there any way? That's the crazy thing. The craziest thing about this gospel is not that there's only one way. The craziest thing is that there's any way. And God has said this, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? If we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God due our sin. And listen, if you reject that, it wasn't because God was not faithful. If one of my kids rejects that, it won't be because God was not faithful. Privilege, yes. Now, they don't always feel privileged living in my home with me and their dad, but privilege, hey, they get the word. It ain't going to be because of lack of hearing the word. No guarantees. And here's the deal. God will not be unfaithful. God has made a way where there seemed to be no way. Faith. And you see it on your handout, trying to get God in our own ways, it has consequences and will not be accepted by God. And this will cause division among people, even families. That's the invitation. Believer, non-believer alike, come to Christ. Look to Christ. Initially for salvation, listen, every single moment of your life for sanctification, look to Christ. 2 Corinthians, whatever, 10, 5, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 